This is the Design Goggles podcast on DNV Radio. Checking out architecture and design is a pretty good way to keep track of how the world changes. Designers have a unique way of looking at cities, and Seattle is a city that's changing fast. More people are moving here every day, and understanding what's different and what's next has never been more important. So, put on your design goggles and join us in checking out the view. I'm Charles. I'm a designer here at Board and Vellum. I live in the Central District neighborhood, and I've been a Seattleite for two years. And I'm Rachel. I'm a designer here at Board and Vellum. I live in the Old Ballard neighborhood, and I grew up here in Seattle. This week's show is titled Electric Collaboration. Creativity doesn't take place in a vacuum. Whether you're an artist, an architect, or a designer, collaboration is the fuel that can kick your project into high gear. Seattle has one of the most supportive art communities in the country, and we're no stranger to collaboration. But when there are so many voices in the room, how does an artist or designer filter out the best ideas from the crowd? Is there a secret to accepting criticism from your peers without losing momentum? Most importantly, how do you manage collaboration with another group entirely and end up with something awesome at the end? To help us answer that question and more, we are joined by two people. First, from Seattle-based art collective Electric Coffin, we have the artist Duffy. And from architecture firm Board and Vellum, we have designer Ryan Adenalian. Duffy and Ryan, thank you so much, both of you, for making time to sit and chat with us. Thank you. Thank you. So, Duffy, how long have you been in Seattle? I've lived here for 13 years. 13 years. I think. What's It's 2018. It is. 14 years. Oh, yeah. Where did you, where did you <laughs> move from? Uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona. So the climate was slightly different. A little bit. Yeah. One of the stories that is really indicative of when I showed up versus now. Was it 19, 18? Doesn't matter. Somewhere around there. But I was hanging out with uh, this young lady and she was explaining to me that in May it was a nice day out. And so she quit her job so she could be outside. <laughs> and I couldn't fathom what she was talking about coming from Phoenix where it's you know 312 yeah. days of sunshine. But 14 years later, I would hands down quit my own company in May for the first sunny day. So it's, <laughs> I definitely have adapted. That's, that's too funny. Yeah. I definitely had a couple experiences when I first got here. There were just like these papers in the window, like closed because of weather and it's like 80 degrees and sunny. And, and I was still thinking with my East Coast brain, I was like, closed because of weather. <laughs> yeah. What the hell's going on? <laughs> Is that where you grew up in Phoenix? Mm-hmm. I have, that's one city I've never been to. What is Phoenix like? It's very conservative. It's uh, has you know very particular views and politics. And I tell people you know I miss the desert, but I don't miss the city. Mm-hmm. It was just a different economy. It was a different culture. Don't be wrong. There's a lot of things growing up that I, I love and, and adore, and it obviously shaped me as a person. But as a, a place to, as an adult with with free will to to continue to spend my existence it was not a place to be anymore so i i ran to the northwest really on a whim i I didn't know too much about seattle i just knew it was really far away and i could get there the fastest because i had a job lined up so that was what led me to the northwest but it's uh, it's changed a lot now i go home and things things are different i mean obviously the advent of the internet and um, mass communication people are able to get Uh, new and uh, progressive ideas all over the world so phoenix has i think started to shift on the pendulum a little bit back then it was it wasn't where i wanted to be what neighborhood did you move to when you first got to seattle little neighborhood called north bend (laughs) Um, no i 
when I moved here, I was staying with some family members and under the impression they lived in Seattle. And when we pulled into the driveway 50 miles away or however far it was. Oh. Yeah, I was like, this is, this is a weird neighborhood. You know, I, I moved in the city pretty shortly after and I've lived and in my early 20s. It was U District and then the obligatory Green Lake stint and then the Interbase stint. Mm-hmm. But we just bought a house and now we uh, moved down to Des Moines. Des Moines, Des Moines. I don't know. People there say Des Moines, but I think it's just because they're trying to be like quirky. Let's throw this to our resident Seattle expert, Rachel. Rachel, what's the I, correct? I, uh, decline, decline, decline to answer this question. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, we've been around. We've been around town mostly on the north end, but now we're down on the south end. Yeah. Was it hard adjusting when you got here, or was it just like this was already more acclimated to the way you already were? came when I was pretty young, so I was very impressionable, and I was very fortunate. I, I got a job in the snowboard industry, so I was working on the mountain. I worked at a snowboard factory. Uh, it, was a, it was a young, energetic industry, so it was, it was just a lot of fun. I think I was having so much fun that the city itself didn't really sway me one way or the other. Uh, it was more about just the experience of the work and the friends and the community. I think that's one of the things that I hear a lot of people that come to Seattle talk about is that they come to Seattle and it feels like home for the first time because they find people that really feel like they're people here. Yeah. They feel like they're already part of this community and where they grew up didn't really feel like it's technically home, but it doesn't have that sense of, oh, I belong here. Yeah. And then they come to the Pacific Northwest for the first time they they feel at home. And as a like a local native Seattleite, to me, that's awesome. It's a good starter city. Back then, especially, it was it wasn't that big. It was it was actually much smaller than Phoenix, but it was more dense, and so you you felt like you lived in a city, but it was a town. You saw the same people at the coffee shop. You were it was, so it was it was a good intro. Kind of I mean, again, being a younger person, it was. I think if I went somewhere like San Francisco or New York or I mean, even L.A., which is way more suburban, but it probably would have been a very different experience. Um, Seattle was an easy city to to interject into yeah you can have your own presence yeah i feel like the people here really help you get started you know it's like they're willing to take a risk on you and you know give you a shot as someone starting out yeah i mean i've seen both sides of the coin in the snowboard community versus some other regions the northwest is is very communal and bonded um people were very open and willing to to kind of bring you into their circle after being in that industry and going to other areas, it, that's not so much the case. But and, you know, on the other hand, the you know Seattle freeze is also a real, it's thing. A real thing. So it's <laughs> it's just finding you know the balance. Mm-hmm. So what about you, Ryan? Uh, how long have you been in Seattle? Uh, Cinco de Mayo, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2010. So specific. <laughs> yeah, I just remember Cinco de Mayo. Where did you move from directly? Uh, I came from Boulder, Colorado. But you you grew up in California? Yeah, I grew up in California, just uh, North L.A., Ventura. So Denver was your practice, Seattle? Yeah. Well, I almost (laughs) went to Denver, but, you know, it's funny. After graduating college in Boulder, it's such a college town. Then when you go out, you know, to restaurants and everything and you're graduated, you still see college kids. You feel like you're at a high school party or something, you know, it's like time for me to get out of here and grow up. (laughs) So, you know, most people move to Denver. But I was like, yeah, I'm a twin. So I lived with him my whole life, went to school together and everything. And I was like, "Uh, you know, time for me to go to try something myself. So I packed up and came out here. I didn't have a job or know a single person. 
the closest person I knew I was like 1500 miles away. Was the adjustment from California to Boulder harder than the adjustment from Boulder to Seattle? No, because I was going with my brother, Tommy. So I knew, you know, I at least knew one person and uh, it's going to college. So everyone's new, you know, for the most part. So it wasn't that scary. It was, you know, coming here, I just knew I wanted to try something, see what would happen. How did you pick Seattle? You know, I wanted to be by the mountains still. And then it was cool being by the water. And I really followed all the architecture out here. They're doing some pretty cool projects. I just like that Pacific Northwest look. And they're pretty aggressive with sustainable design. It's worked out so far. Both came from pretty sunny places. Did that ever get to either of you? Well, I don't know the exact date that I got here, but it was in August. And I remember being slightly miffed, like, it doesn't rain here. (laughs) What are people talking? And then, you know, it's an abusive relationship. You get like two or three months of, this is amazing. And then it's like... I'm out of here and then you get like one good day you know like, oh this is great I don't know and then you know it'll be different now yeah. Monday was sunny this yeah. is it's gonna be fun yeah it's yeah. totally true change of pace was nice for like the first decade <laughs> <laughs> so Duffy when you got here you worked for a snowboard manufacturer what was the path from that to electric coffin like it was actually pretty organic i i always find it interesting when people who grew up to do something talk about when they were a child and they're like oh i i drew all the time and i was painting on my mom's furniture and i was taking apart things and that's why i'm an inventor i, I don't know whatever their stories are i was never particularly interested in art as a child i mean as i was i guess as much as any other child so i, I don't know looking back on it maybe that i could in retrospect find alignments of then to now. But when I got here, I really took that as an opportunity to kind of figure out who I was as a person and all of that cliche stuff. And at the snowboard company that I worked at, they just really fostered creativity, innovation, you know, thinking outside the box, that that, that whole brand, their whole brand was based around that. And it was in an industry that really celebrated uh, individualism and, and creativity and, and kind of pushing the boundary. And so being in that environment at, you know, again, in my late teens and early 20s, 20s, it just really started to kind of help me think about things at, a, at an early age. Also kind of ruined me for any other like real job. But very distinctly, I do remember I was working in there one day and and one of the pro snowboarders, his name is Jamie Lynn, and he's a local hero as well as an industry hero, but been around for a long time. And not only is he an amazing athlete, but he's an amazing musician and artist as well. And I was just making my snowboards one day and doing my thing and he came in and there was just this wall and he decided he was going to paint on it and he did this big mural of a, a ship and this waves and I have never I'd never seen anything like that before in my life I'd never seen anybody just come in and a paint something that cool and that big kind of spontaneously b have permission to do that you know to face somebody's walls um during the daytime <laughs> when they're around uh and and th- so there was all you know just kind of like started clicking all these things in my head of like so I immediately went home and like came up with my own s- skate brand and I was cutting stencils and making t-shirts and spray painting people's walls, not during the daytime. Um, <laughs> and it just kind of kicked off this whole thing. I started drawing a bunch and I don't know, just being being in that space, it was it really impacted me. And then as I started to get more and more into it, I just started finding paths and, and, and avenues within the action sports industry to to push the art and the creativity and ended up going back to art school. So I went to college and I thought I wanted to be a graphic designer and I'm, I'm not a very good one. So I didn't get in the design program. And so again, serendipitously, I, I just started taking art classes 
and I found the the sculpture building, which part of my past growing up, I, I would, I'm really into cars and hot rods. And so I worked at a fabrication shop back home um, for years. And so I could weld and shape metal. And and when I went into the, the sculpture building at school and seeing, you know, the same welders that we had in the shop and the same smells and the same tools. And uh, it just kind of, again, it's one of those moments that it just merged in my brain that I could do more of the industrial work, but also create creatively. Mm-hmm. And so that was really the, the very, very beginning of Electric Coffin. Cool. So it was just you initially? Yeah. Yeah. It was a project I started in school, um, kind of twofold. One, uh, my my wife, girlfriend at the time, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment, and half of our bedroom was my studio. Uh, so I was doing a lot of graphics and, and designs, and at three in the morning when she's trying to sleep, and I have my giant monitor and my headphones, and it's just facing her. She's just like, you got to find a space. So, <laughs> um, so she ultimately kicked my studio out of the house. So when I went and found a studio and I felt like every studio needs a name. And so we came up with an, I came up with a name and I was sharing with somebody at the time. And because of the projects I was doing, it was a lot about recontextualization and then sort of this rebirth. So the electric coffin was, was born. So you had been already doing sort of independent projects on your own and you went to collaborating yeah. Was that a big transition in your creative process? Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, I'm an only child. Grew up my whole life with, I was, I had everything, but I was responsible for everything. So it's, it's that, you know, both sides of the coin. I got all the Christmas gifts, but I also had to pick up the yard by myself. So there was, there was no like, uh, you know, as much as I wasn't sharing the, the glory, I also, you know, wasn't sharing the responsibilities. Um, and my parents raised me to be very self-sufficient. You know, weirdly enough, when I moved out here, I actually did kind of hate it, but I, I was just so determined and, and, um, stubborn to, to not lose quote unquote and go home that I just stuck it out. Um, luckily I found snowboarding and it made it all better, but and so when I, yeah, when I first started, you know, it, it was a lot of late nights and I was you know, doing what I wanted to do and I was trying to find opportunities and I had no one to really uh, say if it was good or bad or yes or no, or we shouldn't do this. And, and so in, in that part of the freedom, it was great. I was just kind of pushing in directions that I, I thought I should be doing. Um, but, you know, once school was over and, you know, and I had realized that, when I was working in, in school and having people around and people who could come look at things and talk about things. And once that, that part of it went away after I got the degree, pretty quickly I realized that that, that was uh, uh, an asset that if, if done the right way could, could lead to bigger things. So um, I was at the skate park one day and uh, Justin, who's one of my business partners was skating there as well. And, I was talking with somebody about some furniture and some paintings, and I, I was using the electric coffin moniker at that time. And um, Justin kind of weaseled his way over into the conversation, and um, come to find out, you know, he was making his own art, and he was a carpenter, and so he was painting on one side, but also doing a lot of the industrial carpentry on the other, and trying to figure out how to merge the two. I think a little bit more seamlessly, and. Uh, and so we got to talking, and then shortly after, I got a phone call from a, a client who wanted a piece that was a lot of carpentry that I had no idea how to do. And so I invited him to, to do it with me, and you know we built in his basement, and it took us two weeks, and we had a great time, and we just got along really well, and, and the piece turned out great. 
and we got we hung it up in the in the office and we were driving away and still to this day I don't know why I asked and I don't know what I was asking and I don't think neither did he because uh, he he said he's like what does that mean um, but I was just like do you want to be a part of Electric Coffin and he was like yeah <laughs> it's so sure. funny having the two of you next to each other Alan, I'm thinking about how many parallels there are Ryan mm-hmm. to your story with Jeff yeah having come here and Board and Vellum barely existed yeah. at the time. Yeah, so I was just starting out, and I was kind of doing my own thing for a little bit because I couldn't get any work. No one was hiring me, so I was like, yeah, start my own thing, and then I wasn't getting any work, and so I would go to all these architecture groups and then that no one really had time to go to, and then I'd write about them and then send them out to all the other architects, say, hey, this is what you guys missed, and just to keep you updated, try to get my name out there. And then Jeff saw one of them, and he was uh, one of the groups I was part of, he blasted a thing on there saying hey looking for some help for you know someone starting out so then i went and chatted with him and it totally worked out and it was, it was awesome. just it was just jeff, jeff. At the yeah time. jeff and me yeah it was interesting for sure and we we're in a like a hundred square foot office place in uh, pioneer square it was pretty fun down there great food i mean everywhere <laughs> but I was just so happy to have a job. I remember he, because it was like a year pretty much that I was just out here. didn't know anyone or anything. You know, I joined a dodgeball team and whatever to try to meet people. But it wasn't the <laughs> you do. most fun people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, uh, yeah, it just ended up working out and it was just so much fun. Collaboration is a really, really tricky thing to talk about. Even when I was trying to do research for the show. Everybody talks about it as if it's this super simple thing. Like you just put yourself in a room with somebody else and you're collaborative. But it's so much more complicated than that. You guys have collaborated together before. Mm -hmm. And both separately, you collaborate in your own creative groups. Well, I think one of the things that... uh, I don't think we mentioned it in the intro, but the reason that we have both of you on the show at the same time is that you two are not strangers to each other. Charles and I really don't know Duffy very well. I think we've met briefly before a couple of times here and there. But Ryan, you've been working on a few projects with him. You've yep. done the Oasis mm-hmm. uh, T-Bar on Capitol Hill, and now you have uh, a new one that's just opening in the yeah. Dynasty Room. And so you two have collaborated together on a lot of really cool projects, uh, Electric Coffin and Warden Vellum together. So what is that like? Because it's very much... Internally, here at Borden Vellum, you know, sometimes it's like herding cats trying to have <laughs> make design decisions and critiquing. We crit, like we crit everything all the time, and I I imagine that you guys crit each other constantly all the time, and that goes well and not well, and all of the things on the spectrum, right? So then, how do you take those two realms of these two entities that are very self-critical and then team up to do something so awesome together? How did you make that work? You know, I think blindly trusting the other person to just go for it because you know you have to let people have an opportunity to try to like come up with ideas and you know design it doesn't just happen overnight and so giving people the space and time to be able to do that is I think so important trusting that it's going to happen and come together and not you know letting your ego out of it and just we're just trying to make the best we possibly can good ideas will come from anywhere too so let it happen I mean I agree I definitely at least in in our experience it's it's a learned behavior Justin and I when we did that first project 
it felt very natural. We were also, we didn't know each other very well. So I think there was a little bit of the, you know, politeness and sidestepping. And, and at the time we were just being very respectful of each other, I think because of our unfamiliarity mm-hmm. and, but because of that, it allowed us to do a, a, you know, a really fun project. And there was, obviously we were talking through things and critiquing, but once came together, we, we brought a third partner on and everybody's equal. And then as we've grown and our team, we, when it comes to the creative, it, we try to kind of keep an even playing field. I would say the first couple years, three years, um, even with just the three of us, it was very difficult. Art itself is inherently an egotistical mm-hmm. sort of activity. You know, you're taking your thoughts and your perceptions and your um, emotions, I guess. Some people do emotional work. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, you're, you know, you're taking what's inside you and you're putting it into... Uh, some physical form and, and into a public space for people to engage with. And so I think that that takes a certain level of ego, uh, comfort, you know, uh, being somewhat... Just being confident. Yeah. Uh, and so there was, in our studio, there was some rough times in the, in the, in the early days. It's one example, Trove was a, a space that we did sort of early on in our career. And there's a painting of Mount Rainier in the bar. That painting was painted seven times. Because somebody would have an idea and they would come in and they would paint something and then somebody else would come in maybe in the middle of the day, maybe over the weekend. They didn't like what that was, so they would paint over it. Um, (laughs) And there was only three of us, so it was pretty easy to figure out who was doing what. (laughs) And we just point to that piece because that was that was actually one of the pieces where we had to like really sit down and be like, okay, like we need to start communicating. You know, we need to be able to critique each other, but in a respectful way. I mean, there was times where people were going outside to have very loud conversations um so it's it's we we went through the the hard part in a, in a real way um and especially being artists and having individual careers and and being used to we're all actually only children too which is kind of weird oh wow so it was we were doomed from the beginning yeah. uh but once we figured out we were our own worst enemy and if we could actually harness the collaboration um that's one thing when when we were when we were on point Everything just felt so natural, and yeah, like the ideas we didn't, we could never tell where the ideas came from. Uh, they would just sort of, you know, formulate through the conversation and through the exploration, and and we started trusting each other more, and we started figuring out how to communicate better, and um, and it became a learned behavior. And now for us, it's it's really become one of the main pillars of our studio, and to the point where it's it's so much part of our philosophy that being able to work with external organizations. It's one of the the biggest keys that we try to in you know ingrain in all projects from the start, and um, I I think that there's a lot of misconceptions about the you know the art community and the design community, and, and uh, you know what we really enjoy doing is kind of coming in and, and putting the collaboration at the at the front of the table and, and being really open about it, and you know we're very fortunate that. Are the people we collaborate with, our clients, um, bring us in for the the fun, exciting parts of projects? Um, you know, we're not doing HVAC systems. We're not, yeah. you know. Are you saying HVAC systems aren't fun? <laughs> I worked in HVAC in Arizona, so I can't say that no, HVAC no, is. Right. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, that's not the right word. Yeah, I think it's you know, uh, getting the for collaboration to work. I think it's. Uh, critical for everyone to get behind that same big idea right and then like you were saying how to make it better and take it to the next level 
but you know it's like the main goal of the space was you know like dynasty room for example was yeah. to create this like almost staged like thing and you know these kind of different experiences that make you feel certain ways when you're walking through it and you know taking that and making it bigger like you're saying but you know when you take that uh something and you try to make too many ideas or it just kind of muddies things down so i think like for it to really be successful it's like everyone has to get behind like that one big idea where where it goes wrong is when people when it becomes a committee you mm-hmm. know and yeah, so exactly. and i think that that's sort of a big misconception i mean we're we're all about collaboration in in our um institution of electric coffin but at the end of the day there's a hierarchy which helps make decisions and so being open and and allowing ourselves time to explore and everybody to be on the same field or plane for that for that component but then also at, having a back end of infrastructure that that then takes you know the fruits of, of 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 that part of the process and to be able to really distill that down into something that's tangible um, I think that's the side that people most people don't tend to um, understand or uh, I think that's where it can really go off the rails because to your point it is easy to collaborate I mean it's fun it's like oh let's we can sit and talk about our ideas all day right. but to be able to take that exploration and then and then refine it, um, that's when I think you know egos start coming in. That's when um, things can start to you know pull apart. And so I think that's the most delicate part of the process for us. Is it's fun and exciting. So we're gonna all sit down and talk for four hours about right. It's blah, that, blah blah blah. It's that space between creativity and production. Totally. When you're gonna really make the hard decisions, like that's what's gonna end up getting produced. Yeah. That's when all of a sudden. Yeah. Stuff is fan. <laughs> so for, for us, we're always trying to make that part better. And we don't have all the answers, but we know, you know, for us, it's been, to your point, it's been about trust and respect and communication and just being being able to transfer from here to here in, in the most delicate way possible. It's funny. I would have thought that collaboration would be more difficult for individual artists than architects because architects or interior designers or anyone that's going and filing a permit at some point, we're all trained that at some point we have to follow a certain set of rules and receive information and make revisions to get our thing done. Whereas in the art world, depending on what your medium is, you have much more free reign if if you're just going into a gallery at the end of it. But the more I'm hearing you talk, I wonder if actually we have a harder time because... and. Tell me, Rachel and Ryan, if you agree or disagree with this. Because we know ahead of time we have to follow all these rules, architects maybe are more defensive inside the creative atmosphere over what we do get control over when it comes to the collaborative process. Like, no, this is when one moment when I don't have to listen to the structural engineer or I don't have to comply to code. Because I don't know, it's funny, as I'm, as I'm, Duffy, as I'm listening to you talk about your collaborative effort, it sounds really freeform. Yes, you have a hierarchy in the end, but it just seems like you made the way you talked made it sound very very simple and i don't know i found it to be minefield you have to navigate i think it's well it's like that's part of like building parameters i think you know as the code like and there's parameters in art right you can only fit something so big and through the door or like you know anything sure. like that and yeah. you know you have to work with some of those things. that's debatable but when you were doing trove in particular yeah um was that the first interior you guys had done where it was something that was going to get built and had to, I mean, it had to comply with health code. It had to do all these things that previously maybe you hadn't had to deal with. That was the most comprehensive space we had done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we did that project with uh, a firm called Heliotrope. 
we were, you know, again, we were really fortunate in the beginning. We had very, very supportive um, clients and collaborators and very trusting because um, we were still cutting our teeth. I mean, we're still cutting our teeth now, but we had done a space before with them, Jewel, um, and we had done some installation work inside the main part of that project, which was, um, you know, the Evo retail store, and then Jewel and Whale Winds were the two restaurants. And so Heliotrope had the the scope for you know, all the interior work. And when we did Jewel, we were responsible for uh, three very specific things. And ultimately, those ended up kind of dictating the entire interior design. And they we ended up rebranding everything and redoing the whole interiors and uh, ended up having more of a footprint than we were originally brought in to do. And so when we did Trove, we just went with that intention out of the gate. So it was nice to... Um, be able to work side by side with them. Uh, I mean, very similar to how we did with Dynasty, where it was when we went in, it was an empty space, and the the client gave us the freedom to imagine whatever it could look like, and then the architect was like, "Well, that's not to code. Uh, this has to be this height. Uh, that material will catch on fire." You know, all. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I think that balance is really critical, and that's what. I think made that space successful. And, and so f- from those lessons, we've learned that balance is key. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's understanding the process and, and understanding there's a time and place for the freedom. There's a time and place to come in and think about embedding ice cream trucks in, in the building and um, doing oversized wallpaper graphics. But then it needs to be balanced out with utility and function and code. And um, so being able to collaborate with entities who can, do that part of it as well and mm-hmm. um, and, and really start to blur the line uh, has been a space that we've found ourselves in and we're really fortunate to be in that space. And I think, you know, as a studio as well, we always find it interesting. I feel like we're constantly kind of dispelling the myth of the artist, the fact that we can make budgets and read spreadsheets and uh, look at drawings and measure things and, yeah. you know, build things without duct tape. It's really interesting that you say that actually, because, you know, I don't really do architecture anymore, but from the architecture's perspective, almost the way that you described it, it was like architecture is getting the really short end of the stick there is that like architects are all these judges that are just coming in being like, no, 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 there are these codes. We have to do this. We have to do that. Blah, blah, blah. Whereas architecture, it's, it's more like we have the burden of being legally responsible to, to comply with all of these codes and things, but design is the defining part of what architecture really is. The interior design in Dynasty Room, for example, where it falls under the umbrella of architecture or interior design, we've talked about that before, like there's such a blurry line of oh, yeah. in, where is the line of architecture and interior design, where does that fall, how does it fade between one side and the other, and then when you bring in artists, then you have this this whole like mix of creative minds all in one space, right? I think that that space looks really awesome and it's it's probably the result of all this like so much we've got artists and architects and interior designers and I haven't even been there yet but the photos look awesome (laughs) what I what we feel like we're seeing a lot at Electric Coffin um, and and what we really started to define as what our studio's role is less about the object Um, the object will is a manifestation of the process and and the ideology uh, of the studio. The service that we really offer is um, a group of people who can uh, collectively work together and who can join other teams uh, who we're using art as a lens for 
problem solving and seeing how you even just shifting things slightly to the left or to the right or up or down or whatever, um, you can get these completely different results. And so our role has become more, um, I think, really when people are, are approaching us to work together, it's because we have done a, a decent job of, sh- of showing what happens when you can um, be a little bit more exploratory. Yeah, take something to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, working with you guys was great because, you know, I remember uh, doing a big walkthrough, right, uh, with everything. We're like, okay, well, something's going to happen in the bathroom. Not sure what it is. And you're like, well, we'll spray paint it. You know, it's like, cool. Yeah. We'll make it look like a tag thing. It's like, great. You know, that's perfect. And it's just, you know, making that so much better. It's like just little things like that, you know really tie it all together. Uh, Ryan, before you mentioned the buy-in to the big idea, very beginning of the creative process, when you worked together, did you immediately go in together in the schematic phase, like just immediately the first sketch? Did you start separately and then come together later? How did it come together? I'm trying to remember. I think we took a pass at it and then uh, Eamon brought you guys in to collaborate. And then we kind of sat down and did a big walkthrough and kind of talked about our first ideas. And then these guys just helped made it way better. Walking in, we knew we wanted some sort of thing on the wall, but didn't know what it was. And, you know, you guys came up with a pretty awesome wallpaper for that. And walking down the hall, thinking about something at the end. And you guys did the the Wolf Temple, which was 12 feet tall and just so kick-ass. And then added music to it, too. Yeah, it's got a soundscape. Yeah, soundscape to it. No, Duffy, when you were walking through the space, and were you just like, oh, yeah, clearly this is where a Wolf Temple belongs. Like, how, how do you get from, how do you get from that, well, yeah, I'm walking down here. Right? How do you get from something will be over there to Wolf Temple? Again, our, our place is to is to think about the why not and to, to, to be exploratory. And the, sort of the three principles that, that we kind of come back to uh, equivocally all the time within the studio is um, nonlinear collaboration. So not only is collaboration a pillar uh, within our our brand's philosophy, but um, nonlinear collaboration is something that we're firm believers of. Like, I think that connecting disparate points uh, always leads to the most interesting resolutions. Uh, If you put blue and yellow together you expect green things are expected you, you know you put certain things together you kind of expect things to happen and for us so what's really interesting is is being disruptive and so um and and thinking how we can use that you know what we've learned in art school which is about asking why not and trying new things and being exploratory and um you know, putting caustic materials with non-caustic materials and, and just ultimately um, allowing yourself the opportunity to, to, to question things. And so ingraining that into our studio's culture and, and, and embedding that into our problem-solving process and our creative process and our professional process, then inevitably you're going to end up with the 12-foot-tall cardboard wolf at some point uh, <laughs> because you're going to run out of normal things to do in all seriousness. It's really more we just want to think about everything as holistically as possible. And so looking at the experience and the opportunities and the engagement and and what are people going to um, experience when, when they come to this space and I think in the parallel to architecture, I mean, ultimately, in my opinion, I feel like architecture is really dissolving a lot of 
um, walls and, and barriers and disciplines even within that trade. And it's really focusing more on the experience of the space mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I, I de- ideas and philosophies and, and less about the physical built space. Mm-hmm. I think that sort of is becoming more determined off of some other principles um, and so for us, it's the same thing. We want to think about the person in the space. And so from from that starting point and then really opening it up, it allows us to think about all the crazy ideas. Uh, and we also, I mean, levity is a big part of our, our studio. You don't need to punch people in the face to get a point across. Um, sometimes with a little bit of honey, things are more well received anyways. So having a sense of humor, I think has become, has become really critical for us. As I say that very seriously. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's one of the, for both of you, one of the toughest collaborative moments, it doesn't have to be between the two of you. It can be yeah. ever toughest collaborative moments you ever had where either something that was just coming into the collaborative process and you're like, you had to face it. You had to pull something out that someone was really, really all in on or someone in the process wanted to pull something of yours out that you were really all in on. I used to own a business with my wife. That was hard. (laughs) 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 We're going off topic, but yeah, I mean, my wife and I did not start in that space. We started out as partners and then decided to start a business together. And that was, that was a hard collaboration. (laughs) I I think too, you know, you, we came from a different dynamic of being boyfriend, girlfriend, husband and wife at home and having, you know, that scope of life. My wife really, I love her to death, but she has no idea what I do, you know? And (laughs) I mean, she does that. That's, that sounds way bad. Um, (laughs) she, she knows what I, she knows what electric coffin does, but she doesn't understand the day to day and like the roles and the dynamics and, you know, really what I do on a daily basis. Um, I'm not the one who's in the studio painting every day. I, you know, I started out, we all started out as artists, but as the business has grown, I don't do that. Um, but anyway, so when we started our business together, I, I immediately would go into work mode, which she did not jive with very well. Um, so that was a really hard, I mean, I guess in all honesty, that was probably the hardest. Um, and electric coffin wise, I think it was the, the three partners in the very beginning mm. when we became serious. you know, when it went from being in Justin's basement and we all had part time jobs to, OK, we've all quit our jobs and yeah. we're doing this full time. And, you know, Stefan has a son. And when it when it was no longer at least perceived as, as just for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when the collaboration got really hard because there was a lot more at stake. But then through a year or two of exercise and, and sort of re- getting rebalanced and then, you know, those guys are pretty big hippies. So they're like reading books by the Dalai Lama and <laughs> we're all space dust and, you know, nothing really matters. So then it kind of resets you as far as like being stressed out. <laughs> what about you, Ryan? I'm trying to think of uh, hard collaboration. Um it's just funny because this office, you know, this is the first serious job I've ever had. And, uh, you know, before it was just New Balance and, you know, other stupid things. But, um, but yeah, this is, uh, it's just been so collaborative and supportive uh, with everything here, you know, uh, with the crits and everything. But I just remember one time it was super humbling for me because there was this, 
I still get a hard time for it today, but I remember we were working on this one remodel and I was like, you got to do this tower on this thing. And, you know, I was all about it and I would not let it go. I was like, yeah, I just thought like uh, this uh, multi-level house, uh, split level house. Yeah. And we needed to do this addition, but there wasn't really any room because we didn't want to mess up this one part of the house. Uh, But they wanted a second story. So it's like, oh, well, let's just do this like tower piece on this thing. That's like this taller portion of the house, but it's not like a total tower. It's just like this one part that would stick up. And I was just like, that is the idea. Like that is the whole thing. And I wouldn't let it go. I was like, man, this is, this is it. You guys are missing it. And then I drew, everyone's like, you're wrong, Ryan, you're wrong. And I was like, no. And I drew it out and I was like, oh my God, that is the worst thing. (laughs) I was like, I hate this thing. And I was like, that is so bad. And I just remember that and thinking like, you know, you guys were all right. And I was so wrong. And like, I just couldn't believe it. And so it's like, Ever since then, I'm just like, yeah, you know, maybe I'm wrong. So well, let's, and you, this has become a complete Gordon yeah. Vellum meme. Like yeah, the tower, like, yeah. you mentioned, oh, the tower. Yeah, put it. a tower on. It's kind of a new thing here, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> or it's been a thing. But it's just like, yeah, it's just. Uh, There's a a need to have um, a little distance from your own ideas, right? I mm-hmm. mean, so we uh, we're all used to a crit culture, mm-hmm. and you know, here at least, we're all kind of. We can be a little brutal, (laughs) but we're all on the same team ultimately. Mm -hmm. So at least internally, um, even if we say things that are a little maybe prickly, uh, we all know that we, we, we are working towards a a greater goal, right? And we're on the same team ultimately and and we're going to disagree along the way, but it will result in a better product in the end. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, we do a, a flash crit upstairs on our crit boards and, it can get really angsty and people start yelling and but and it's actually it's kind fun. of fun when people yeah. start yelling because it's, it's like sort of like energized. Idea, you know, yeah. if you can defend it, then yeah, yeah okay, I'll hear it out. Yeah. yeah. The only time I really get mad or frustrated during those is when somebody says something about part of the design that I did and I'm just mad that I didn't see that it sucked. <laughs> yeah. And I was just yeah. like, God, like, or that obvious that, solution. Right. Like, why or, didn't I right, think of why, that? Exactly. That's yeah. the only really like negative feeling I have. I'm like mad at myself. I'm just like, yeah. that's so obvious now. But then once How you get into I the hive that? mind, you've, you're like, ah, oh, well, we can't, you know, the hive mind is better, right? We, we have all these ideas. We've come together and we found the coolest thing. Yeah. And the idea that turned out to be better, it wasn't that you didn't think of it. The stuff that you put on the table yeah, yeah, yeah. created the right. ultimately better idea, right? Yeah. So, I think as far as critting too and giving you know uh, feedback on an idea, it's you know if you're just if people are just saying no, I, I hate that idea or it's awful, but they don't have an idea to back it uh, up on you know a better idea or anything, then it's like yeah, I don't really care what you're saying <laughs> to me right now, but you know if you have another idea, like let's hear it, you know right. how how is it going to be better? make it better beat right. that yeah critic criticism purely for the for the um sport. for the sport <laughs> yeah, is good. just <laughs> worthless and useless and it actually reminds me of something you said earlier about wanting to like dispelling the popular notion of an artist yeah. was a really interesting thing in that you're a collective and mm-hmm. that in and of itself is different than what everybody thinks of the lone artist in the yeah. in the studio locked away doing crazy mad things well and then i mean f- and to all of this, I mean, we don't have crits or sprint crit or mad crit or all the flash crits. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, but we have, I mean, we have a structure, we have guardrails and it's, it's very similar. You know, we're, even though we might be talking about 
flocked 10-foot-tall trophies or oversized glowing dinosaurs or <laughs> wood-carved bear shuttles or whatever it might be. We, even though we're, we're doing that, I mean, there's guardrails, right? So there, there's a reason why we're having that conversation. And, and even though we're allowing ourselves to, to be a little bit more abstract or uh, sometimes obtuse, I guess, um, there's a, a science and there's, there's, a, there's a, a motivation behind it. And to your point about the hive mind, I mean, it, we kind of call it spiraling, but Somebody, there's been many a times where, you know, we'll need to create something for a space and they have a color palette and there's a narrative and, you know, whatever, it has to have this function and someone in the, in the team will get hung up on it. You know, it's gotta be four feet tall. It's gotta be like everything else in that room is four feet tall. It's gotta be four feet tall. And, And inevitably somebody will say something about, well, then let's make. 10 of them that are four inches tall and whatever. And so, and it's just that little twist where you're like, wait a minute. Well, if we did that, like, could we do this? And then you kind of get over that hump of, of being frustrated and being defensive to, well, maybe that is like, well, you said something weird or you said something up, you know, not really on track, but there could be something in there. And then we start to spiral. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, it's like all a blur and a daze and, shirts are ripped open and we don't know how we got there but it's like there's an idea on the table and we're like that's it um and and i I think that 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 part of the magic is is what's um, almost addictive in a sense one of my favorite parts about collaboration is that we we generally arrive at a a destination that you could never do alone Mm -hmm. um which then inevitably means that there's going to be that that's just the beginning of the puzzle because if it's something you could come at alone, you probably already have some of the process figured out. Uh, when you start to get things that nobody can predict, then all of a sudden you get some really interesting challenges on the table. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that's what keeps our job interesting. Thank you so much, Ryan, Jeffrey, for coming in. Thank you. This is an awesome That was talk. fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah. And thank you so much for joining us. Our next night school event will be right around the corner, so keep a lookout on our social media for that. It will be held here at Board of Vellum on 15th Avenue in Capitol Hill. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter or the blog on boardandvellum.com. There's always super cool stuff being posted there. And as always, please stop on by anytime for a chat with us. We would love to have you. Thank you again, and we'll see you all in a few weeks.